Blog Talk Radio. Well, good, every, good morning, everyone. This is George Crawford in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. It's a beautiful, almost spring day here on the uh, western half of Canada, and we want to welcome you to the Small Business IT Radio here for uh, Friday, March the 7th. And we got a jam-packed uh, hour coming up here. The phone lines are already jam-packed, and we're uh, going to be talking about managed services in 2008, and we'll have Eric Simpson on in the call here in a few more minutes. I have a quick announcement, though, to make. Uh, if you're not aware... We're having a great IT conference coming up April 18th to the 21st, and it's going to be in Dallas, Texas. It's SMB Summit, and it's 2008 version of SMB Summit. It's going to be a wonderful conference, and I recommend that if you haven't booked, now is the time to book. What do we got coming up in the SMB Summit this year? we got a full day, to the best of my knowledge, we got a full day of SQL, our, um, Windows Small Business Server 2008 training. we got a full day of Windows Essential Business Server training. And I just announced we have a SonicWall CSSA training coming up, free of charge to anybody who registers. These are all pre-days and part of the conference. Plus, there's a whole whack of pre-day stuff with Matt Makowitz and Carl Pelichuk coming up here at SMB Summit. So go to smbsummit.com and register for this wonderful conference. And if you put in the, the code, I think it's SMB Webcast. SMB Webcast, you'll save yourself 100 bucks. Uh, to, off your registration. So go to smbsummit.com, type in the promo code SMBWebcast, and you'll save yourself 100 bucks on this great conference. So uh, like our advertiser said, we have a great show coming up. We have Eric Simpson on the line. I'm going to welcome Eric in on the call. I'm sure everybody here knows who Eric is. He is, in my opinion, uh, one of the pioneers of managed services and what we're doing in the market today, doing uh, managed services to our client base. So good morning, Eric, and you're uh, on the road today? Uh, yes, uh, good morning, Stuart, and thanks for having me on. I am on uh, on the road today. I have just uh, arrived at my destination, so, um, you know, everything is good. Excellent. Well, we have a full switchboard, and what I'm going to recommend people do, so I know that you have a question, if you can email us your telephone number that you're calling on, because I don't see who the, num- who the callers are, I just see the phone numbers. Let me know if you have a question for Eric, and we'll unmute your line and get you on. So we want to maximize Eric's time because he is on the road and, and give you some qual- uh, quality uh, uh, information here for the next hour on our Small Business IT show. So this show is every week. We do it at Friday at noon east, 9 o'clock on the West Coast, on blogtalkradio.com, and it's a great website if you want to get into some webcasting. Uh, no charge. You can just get on, create an account, and start broadcasting to the world just like we have been doing here on Small Business IT Radio for the last four or five months. And we've got a great uh, collection of archive shows on, that, on, our, on our website, blogtalkradio.com. You can actually link in with iTunes, download the MP3 fi- uh, files to your uh, iPods or to your uh, Zunes or whatever device you're using. And if you want to email us some qu- uh, your questions, I'll give you the email address. It's, uh, just send it to my personal account, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at StuartCrawford.com. We'll get you on the, uh, on the show here. So, Eric, once again, good morning to you. And what's been happening in your world since the last time we spoke, uh, or we had you, on, you and uh, Clint on the show about a year ago? Anything, what's new in your world, uh, what's going forward with you guys, what's happening, all that good stuff? Uh, well, yeah, it's been, uh, it, it's amazing, you know, what a difference a year makes. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've grown our organization substantially. Uh, we have now transitioned to focus more on, uh, training um, solution providers, 
and uh, membership organizations, and, and uh, we have uh, some relationships with uh, larger corporations that you may know of, such as Microsoft, Intel, and Cisco, and, and kind of delivering some value-added training and, and resources for their members as well, is specifically in the area of transitioning their partners over to successfully delivering managed services, learning how to price and position, learning how to message, learning how to understand what their total cost of service delivery is in order for them to create their their uh, compelling um, unique selling proposition and, and pricing on value rather than uh, cost. So we've had a really uh, tremendous year in growth in terms of just uh, getting out there and touching uh, thousands more solution providers and understanding their particular needs uh, and now expanding over into uh, Europe uh, with some of these opportunities as well. So it's been very exciting for us. It sounds like you've... Uh really started to embrace the working with partners. Now, I heard uh, through the grapevine that you're stepping away from the day-to-day -day technical support uh, business. You're just focusing purely on training partners now? Yeah, that's, that's correct. I mean, we've, uh, we've decided to basically, um, you know, continue our philosophy of building good, strong partnerships and relationships uh, in our um, transition out of delivering services directly to end-user clients. We are partnered up with uh, one of our good partners uh, in Southern California here who will be uh, handling actually some of those duties as well as we're developing a, a help desk, uh, re, I guess revitalizing the help desk offering uh, soon for other solution providers so that they can have a point to, to be able to scale their services out by leveraging a, um, a, a SAS 70 certified help desk, an ITIL based problem management resolution process uh, in that manner. So we really want to focus, again, on, on what we have grown into doing best now, which is mentoring other organizations into the proper, uh, or let's just say, a very successful managed service delivery process, from sales and marketing process to business process to uh, technical process, service delivery, NOC, uh, and project management. Sounds great. Now, I just want to make one quick, a couple quick announcements before we dive into the material today. For those listening to us on the telephone, if you're in front of your computer, you don't actually have to be dialed in on the phone. You can listen to us online at blogtalkradio/smb. If you're on, if you're on the on the on the road and you're mobile, then feel free to stay on the line. But just to save lines to get people on who want to ask questions, you can also listen to us online and disconnect your phone and save yourself that long distance charge. And I actually just opened up the chat window as well. So you'll see a chat button on the dashboard there. If you have any questions, you can also get us through the chat uh, window there. So, Eric, you know, managed services has been, what, four or five years since we first started hearing this story. Uh, there's still partners today even just contemplating getting into managed services. You know, we're really into version two, I think, version three now being kind of developed. You know, what's new this year that us as managed services providers need to be thinking about that we didn't think about, say, in 07 or 06? What do you see on the horizon here for this year? Well, I see, I see the tremendous uh, push towards software as a service. I mean, that is a force that uh, all, I think, uh, successful IT solution providers that want to deliver some sort of an annuity-based offering to their, to their uh, clients are going to want to take a strong look at. So software as a service I see as a big, um, a big push. I see also hardware as a service. 
really gaining some momentum as well. So I think that uh, from the perspective of offering a deliverable to a prospect or a client that makes it easy for them to say yes through a basically a, a reasonable monthly fee, which may include hardware and all their software inclusive, uh, maybe even uh, hosting a lot of their um, applications out in the cloud. Uh, I think that you know those are the things that are really going to impact this managed services model that that we have you know seen grow over the last several years. And you know, with organizations like uh, Microsoft coming up with the new uh, software plus service model, you know, the announcement just came out this week that uh, they will be offering these services in a push to really uh, gain some market share against Google. And these services are marketed directly to end user clients. So, you know, I've taken a lot of calls and, and seen a lot of chatter recently about how that's going to affect a traditional solution provider's business model or a managed service provider's business model, specifically a Microsoft partner's business model. And I think that, you know, my opinion now after reviewing everything that's been going on, and I was privy to some calls with Microsoft uh, prior to this announcement. They wanted some feedback from me. I, I, I just see that this is an inevitable uh, reality, that uh, Microsoft is going to make these services available to end-user uh, customers, and we as the trusted advisor need to be in front of that in order to properly message what that means to their end-user clients from Microsoft and position themselves so that you know, the value is there for them to uh, continue to direct their clients' technology roadmap. And whether that includes some of these services, then that is for the solution provider and the client to decide. But, uh, you know, I think, I, I, you know, some solution providers that I've talked to and some partners, you know, fear this occurrence. And I think that it's just inevitable, and I think that we just need to adjust the way that we position ourselves uh, as the trusted advisor in order to not only accept it, but to capitalize on that and leverage it. Well, Eric, you mentioned the word fear there, you know, the fear of this and the fear of that. You know, we got Dell coming into uh, the SMB space. You know, you just mentioned Microsoft and their software plus services. You know, what do you recommend to a solution provider or a partner when they're faced and they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit afraid or a little, you know, hesitant about, you know, recommending these solutions? I always approach things, you know, let's see how we can embrace this and work with it. Uh, what do you recommend to people when you're talking to them about, you know, the fears of Microsoft or the fears of Dell coming into our marketplace? How, how do you address that? So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a great question because it, it really addresses one of the key um, topics or one of the key items that I think we as solution providers need to address in 2008. And, and how we respond or react to these perceived threats in order to basically uh, thrive and succeed in spite of them. And, um, you know, we have to step back a bit and look at, at what is going on here from a higher level. And so we've got, you know, these large retailers entering in the space trying to sell directly to our end user uh, prospects and clients, and then we've got, you know, folks that we have perceived to be our partners for so many years uh, being perceived as doing the same thing. So from the retailer perspective, there is just no possible way that we as 
SMB solution providers or even enterprise solution providers have the marketing budget to go head-to-head -head, uh, against somebody like uh, Adele in marketing to prospects or clients. There's just no way possible, and that would be a foolish ploy. It would be to try to outmarket somebody like that, obviously. So what I recommend is let's leverage that marketing, right? So Dell is directly marketing now uh, remote support services to end-user clients and prospects. So these are remote help desk services, monitoring services, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know the silverback deal, all of that. What I say is, hey, let's leverage all of that marketing dollar that they are uh, using to message to these prospects and come in and agree with the benefits that are being touted by this messaging. But illustrate to, to our prospects and clients that Dell will never be a trusted advisor for that client. The best they can do is provide hardware and some monitoring services that won't meet the requirements of small business today. So in that engagement, we have to be very good at illustrating our unique selling proposition, the value that we bring that keeps Dell in its proper place. And you know what? Maybe that client is a Dell customer. Maybe they've purchased Dell equipment. Maybe they have a, um, an account with Dell. I mean, we had lots of clients that, that were in that same boat. But how we managed those relationships was to say to the client, hey, you know, it's time for infrastructure upgrade or we need some more PCs or we want to replace the server, whatever it is. We put the cart together in the Dell portal, and then we had the client or the prospect just do the checkout process. So we managed that relationship just like we manage all of the other vendor relationships that feed services or products to our clients, like we talk about in our first book, that vendor management concept, right? So we control not only the vendors, but the environment itself, right? So we, we are the trusted advisor, the outsourced CIO, and like I say, we can leverage the messaging and agree with the value of proactive managed services and let Dell spend the dime to get that message out and then walk in behind that message and capitalize it. Uh, for our benefits. And you know what? Um, it doesn't work for every client, but we don't want every client. We want A clients. Right, Stuart? Absolutely. You need to be very picky. I think in 2008 especially, very picky on the clients that you pick. And we're going through that exercise ourselves, Eric, where, you know, not, yeah, not every small business in, Cal in the Calgary metropolitan area is going to be a fit for us. And there's going to be lots of these, I call them technical-focused companies that are going to want those you know, the three to five man operations that that you know just call you. You know, we'll just call you when we need you. We don't want any long term relationship. You know what? Let those clients go to those guys, and we're going to focus on what we're good at. And yesterday, I had a call on my uh, IT mentoring monthly call, and we went through the nine steps. And Eric, just a little plug for I have a white paper up on my website at StuartCrawford.com based on that call last night. And you, people can go download it anytime. It's free on nine things you need to look at in uncertain economic times, and we talk about that kind of stuff, is focusing what you, on what you do well and what you, you're really good at. But you hit a couple key uh, things here, and I know you and I kind of see the same, uh, we have the same vision when it comes to marketing and the importance of marketing uh, in the small business space. And I love what you said about leveraging the big elephant, the eight, what do you call it, the 800-pound gorilla marketing message. 
and, and, and kind of piggybacking on top of that. What are you seeing today, Eric? Are you seeing a switch maybe from like maybe two or three years ago where, you know, small business IT professors were very technical focused uh, and now switching more to a marketing and sales type environment? Or are we still maybe too heavy on the technical side? Where are we at today? Well, I think, um, you know, we're seeing some changes in the industry. I think that um, there's a lot of uh, consolidation going on with some of the larger IT service providers. Um, we, we're always going to have that component of SMB IT solution provider that, uh, you know, is kind of the uh, uh, less than five-man shop, if you will. And then we're going to have guys in the, uh, you know, five to ten, and then, you know, the, the larger uh, organizations. I think from the perspective of, of uh, success in 2008, the smaller shops are, are really going to be challenged unless they truly embrace the concept of partnering and the, the concept of finding other solutions to help them leverage their services. So, I mean, you know, we, we know that there are uh, uh, solutions out there such as Zenith Infotech and Ingram Seismic offering that allow partners to scale their help desk services out. Um, we know that uh, there are outsource organizations like ours that can help partners create uh, and deliver marketing collateral and marketing plans and things like that. Um, and so I think that for the smaller bars, they really have to understand where they want to be, what their current business model is, if they're happy with that, or if they have see some gaps in that and need to migrate to a different business model, and, and what that migration strategy is, and then how they can leverage more of these outsource-type services to help them really capitalize or help them increase their net profits over time. So I think for the smaller guys that traditionally have, have um, been the reactive service provider, the break fix service provider, it's going to be more challenging for them uh, moving forward if they really um, have, have uh, had their head in the sand and not been aware of what's happening around them. I think in 2008 we'll see a lot more competition from managed service focused organizations in marketing and uh, winning business from other providers that aren't uh, prepared to uh, deliver the services that uh, these other folks are. And, and that's going to cause their existing client base to start to erode, I believe. Um, well, I think we'll also see a lot of these smaller folks uh, uh, close up shop. I think that uh, if they've been around long enough, uh, some of their ownership might decide, well, you know, it's going to take me so much time and investment, I've got to change my entire business model. And not only that, but I'm changing my compensation plans for my techs, my salespeople, the way I bill. Uh, I have to build these relationships with organizations that I don't know today. So I think it can be a little bit daunting for, for the smaller provider. For the middle, the mid provider, the larger providers, I see them to have enough uh, revenue from an ongoing basis to make that transition over time. Uh, a little bit smoother and allow them to make a mistake here or there and still come out on top. I think for the smaller provider, it's very important for them to minimize their mistakes along the way. And, you know, I'm happy to say that, you know, in 2008, it's, it's, it's night and day from, I guess, 2004 when we started looking around uh, and trying to determine uh, what we could do to change our business model to, to uh, scale our services, to improve our utilization, et cetera, et cetera, this thing that we now call managed services, uh, there really were no resources out there available to us other than, you know, what the managed service tool vendors 
uh, touted as being the way to do things and their marketing strategy and their collateral and things like that. And, you know, between you and I and the audience, I mean, we, we tried all that stuff from the vendors and we failed miserably at it. So we really uh, were just driven to be successful at transitioning because we saw the value of it and, you know, even more so today and glad we did it. Um, but we, we certainly did lose a lot of money and uh, we made a lot of mistakes during that transition. And I think now uh, there are so many resources available for providers. It, it's, it's a much easier um, decision-making process simply because of that fact. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so true. Now, uh, we have a question from Dana Epp from Scorpion Software. Uh, Dana's on the line from Chilliwack, BC. Go ahead and ask your question to Eric, Dana. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Good, my friend. How you doing, Dana? Not too bad. I have a self-serving question. <laughs> okay. With your expertise in the MSP area, I'd be curious to understand, when we consider this whole aspect of the MSP model and moving to an environment where you're centrally managing all these businesses and, and at all times, uh, it's a great asset because now you have all your IT people and your salespeople being able to have, peer into all these different businesses. But when these employees change their roles and when they change or leave the business, it all of a sudden becomes a great liability. And I kind of wanted to know, from a solution provider's point of view, how do they minimize the risks? And, of course, you know, self-serving because we, we build products that solve that kind of thing, but I'm just curious to know about other things and, you know, what you see currently in the market and how that might change over time. Well, I think that's a, you know, and, and that's a great point and a great self-serving way to, uh, to open this topic, Dana, because obviously one of the uh, deliverables that we as uh, managed service providers or annuity-based service delivery providers uh, rank as the top three is managed security services, right? So we get a lot of, uh, you know, questions about, or there's chatter I see out there in the industry about, well, you know, managed services is going to become commoditized. Managed services, you know, after a while it's going to be, you know, how cheap can you manage my desktop and how cheap can you manage my security? I, you know, I would say that if all you do is three or four uh, things and that's your core deliverable, then, then yes, potentially your services will be commoditized. But I think that as we continue this thought process and this logic train of, of managed basically managed services, which means that it's not just help desk and remote support, it's not just vendor management, it's not just managed security, and it's not just monitoring, but now it spills over into device, uh, printer managed, printing management, um, it, it spills over into internet content filtering, managed voice over IP. I mean, there are just a slew of services out there um, that, that, you know, quell the fear of commoditization. Maybe one or two items may be commoditized, but from a solution provider perspective, the trusted advisor perspective, it's our job. We're in, it's incumbent upon us to bring all of these solutions to our clients. And, you know, like I say, I'd much rather have a smaller amount of clients and they're paying me much more per month because I'm selling them all these other solutions, which are basically delivered and fulfilled by partnering relationships than the other way around. But your point is salient as to, you know, what is on the mind of a small business owner today, right? They want to maximize their, their uptime and utilization and efficiency, but they're also very concerned with security. So how do we now manage when employees come and go and their rights and permissions uh, in that uh, reality? And I think a simple solution is uh, a product that your company markets 
Dana, and that is, go ahead. Well, that's off Anvil. Um, it's a strong authentication solution, but um, I'm curious to know through this, not just from the point of view of being able to deliver and protect the employees of the organization, but how do you protect the uh, organizations from your employees? Is that a concern that you see businesses have? Are you talking about, our, our, uh, Dana, when like, somebody leaves our organization, how do we protect the client from them going in after they leave our organization? Is that what you're getting to here? Yeah, well, you know, I, I look at all, I listen to all these uh, uh, solution providers talk about how they're now managing more and more and more businesses. So now you have a single uh, organization, MSP, that's managing 40, 50, 60 different businesses uh, in real time. And now what they're doing is they have four or five employees, and one of their employees has, a, has the opportunity to change roles in the organization, or they leave that business. And now they know all the credentials and all the access points to all of these 50 or 60 businesses. And I'm kind of curious and trying to understand, is this a concern businesses have? Or more importantly, is this concerns that the MSPs themselves have? Because are they liable if then those employees leave the organization? So, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, it does become a point of liability, right? So I think that um, some of the larger uh, MSPs will institute um, uh, security um, uh, measures so that only a specific set of, of clients are managed by a certain employee. But I, don't, I haven't seen anything as quite as elegant as Off Anvil in addressing that in the enterprise. And, and frankly, I think that once that message is clearly um, stated to prospects, the unique selling proposition then becomes another level higher right, for, a, for an MSP or a competing MSP. So when we go in and we try to sell services to a client, and we can illustrate to them that um, the security of all their data is encrypted and no one has the ability, once they leave the organization, to even access uh, any of their uh, data or equipment remotely. I think that's a, that's a differentiator uh, when going in and, and uh, pitching our services. Excellent. That, that's, that's what I wanted to try to understand is because, you know, with your expertise and, and you know, your uh, positioning and how you understand this whole MSP model, what, what scares me is to see some of these MSPs are getting involved. And I want to call it, you know, the smaller MSPs are just starting to get involved here. And then they, you know, they're managing, let's say, 20 networks. And then the next thing you know, they, have, they hire an employee that you know, is new, and all of a sudden they have 20 access points to 20 different businesses, and then they leave. And that, that scares me because no one's been thinking about when all of a sudden we're working in the managed environment where this is not a uh, break fix, you go on site. This is we are remotely managing this. We're providing both hardware and software for solutions that we're delivering to them on a regular basis, and we become very integral to their business process, right? We are their outsourced IT infrastructure. And if anything changes to there, I know as a business owner, I would be scared if there wasn't some way of making sure that we are protected from those external consultants that are doing that kind of stuff. And I've just wanted to kind of understand, you know, what the MSPs are doing to minimize their risks, or if they're even considering them risks. Maybe I'm totally out to lunch and I'm a little too anal. I'm just curious to try to understand how those MSPs are looking at that stuff. Well, I think well, you know, a great, I, I, a great I, topic for another show down the road here. If we can have Eric and yourself back on, we can probably talk about this for, for 60 minutes, uh, Dana, on this whole thing. But I want to kind of put a spin on this for, uh, for Eric. Eric, you mentioned being the trusted advisor. Uh, you know, that's basically what our role is today, is, is the trusted advisor. But how does an MSP make that transition from 
you know, a break fix organization to being a trusted advisor. It's not an easy journey for a lot of folks. It's uh, yeah, it, it is a challenge, Stuart. And I tell you what, it's uh, it's made um, easier if we're pitching our our services to a brand new prospect because they have no history with us. I think the challenge with a with an MSP and transitioning their existing clients over to a managed service model has everything to do with the way they're perceived as delivering their services historically to that client. So if they're perceived as a reactive firefighter that you know only shows up when something's you know flamed out and uh, you know hoses things down and then uh, and then saves the day, then you know it's difficult to make that that perception change to hey now I'm a trusted advisor now I'm I'm 50,000 feet now and I'm I want to manage all of your vendor relationships and all of this stuff, and I think that the the uh, the catalyst for that transition has to occur within the MSP individual themselves. They, they have to make the internal flip of the switch in their brain to say, hey, I am no longer a reactive firefighter. And they, they need to be, to be able to start behaving in that manner and being proactive and showing value and sitting down with clients and doing forecasting and doing quarterly business reviews, right, and doing these uh, – these, um, budgeting meetings where, you know, it's not, it changes the meeting from, hey, we need to do this today, can you, where, you know, when can I get a check, to, you know, here's what we're seeing from our monitoring and reporting, and, you know, it's not an issue today, but I think uh, next quarter we need to start setting some budget aside to do X. So I think you, you really have to internally assume that role, and that's that, that CIO, that 50,000 foot that sees everything that's operating and then is is very analytical in delivering, um, you know, the information that the end client needs in order to make a decision. So yeah, I think the challenge is starts with the MSP themselves getting that mindset going, and then illustrating that to their existing client base, and then um, you know moving forward that way. So again, you know, referencing our first book, we we uh, we went through that entire. Uh, transition and we created some collateral and some direct mail letters and we met with every single one of our clients at the time and we let them know hey this is the this is what we're moving to in terms of service delivery and these are the benefits and this is why it's good for you and this is why it's good for us because if you think about it from one perspective as a reactive break fix service provider we're basically uh, at odds with our clients needs what I mean to say is we are diametrically opposed from a revenue-generating perspective uh, in terms of when the client is down. So if the we are most profitable when our clients are in the most pain as a reactive service provider. I guess that's the best way to put it. So when they're in the most pain is when we are the most profitable. We are on-site. It's a disaster recovery, and we're billing them till 3 in the morning, and we're getting paid. As a, and so the client then bears all the risk in that relationship. But from a managed service perspective, the opposite is true. Our goals are completely in alignment with our clients. So that means that the less pain the client feels, the more profitable they are and the more profitable we are, right? Because we are trying to leverage our tools and technology process and procedure to be as effective as possible in proactively monitoring and managing and remediating anything that goes on in that environment. 
So as an MSP, if we have an outage and we are on site for four hours, guess what? Because we're billing our client from a flat fee perspective, they're not suffering from a monetary perspective, but they're monitoring from being they're suffering from being down. We, however, are suffering from a monetary perspective because it takes us outside of our box of efficiency, and we've got people on site now. So I don't care if you bill somebody five hundred dollars an hour for on-site work. The minute you step outside the door to visit a client as an MSP, you're losing money because you're outside your box of efficiency. So from that perspective, it's an interesting conundrum to say, you know, I am now an MSP. These are the benefits that I can provide you and your organization. The new prospect that doesn't have that reactive firefighter perception of your services is much more easy uh, to convince to sign a managed service agreement. Your existing client base, depending upon how good, bad, or indifferent uh, their opinion is of you, it can be very challenging. Now, if you've been a great uh, trusted advisor all along and have just provided services from a billing perspective in kind of a break, fix, or a block time uh, scenario, you'll be more successful than if all you are is a break, fix uh, service provider that gets uh, that shows up on site when something is broken. So hopefully that uh, answered that question. For you. Yeah, I think it for me it does. And I want to thank Dana for hopping on there with that uh, that great question, Eric. Uh, you know, Dan, and if you want to check out Dana's uh, website is scorpionsoftware.com, and he's going to actually be doing an event here in Calgary with us at the end of the month, so I'm looking forward to that. You know, one yeah. of the things uh, you keep on mentioning is, you know, the, again, as a trusted advisor and making the transition from break-fix to, you know, to a CIO, uh, what, are the, what are the discussions now that we're having with clients, you know, what, or what are those discussions going to look like in 2008? Uh, I, just, I, I just see my, my vision is, is that's going to be a, a very difficult uh, transition for a lot of guys who are traditionally, you know, trained on Windows Server, Exchange Server. Maybe we can talk about what do we need to do training-wise, Eric, to get us to the next level. And I know your your firm does that training, but what what else can we do? Because you know the conversations now are changing. Do you recommend we do some economics courses, accounting courses? Uh, maybe an industry course, if, like, for example, in Calgary, we're very much oil and gas focused, going out and doing some industry-type training. Where do you see the partners having the most success, and what are they doing uh, to transition from being a technician to a business consultant? Well, that's a, that's a large topic, Stuart, and I think that um, you know we need to break it down in, in some smaller bite-sized chunks. I think that it, you know it really depends on where the service provider is today in their business model and their process. So, you know, so from one end of the spectrum, you can have a solution provider that basically, you know, uh, believes that good business is, hey, I'm bringing in more money than I'm spending, right? Hey, that's, I'm, my business is healthy, right? I don't necessarily agree with that, as I know you don't. And then you have the other end of the spectrum, that uh, you know, you've got a solution provider that runs his organization completely by the numbers, right? So he knows exactly what his total cost of service delivery is for every single product and service that his organization sells. He has very um, uh, effective and complementary compensation plans for his salespeople that take into account selling um, uh, annuity-based managed service agreements as well as hardware and software. Right? and may even pay them a percentage of the uh, managed service agreement uh, every single month 
over time. And he's also got transitioned his um, compensation plan for his help desk technicians to uh, focus more on on uh, maintaining SLA and customer satisfaction and things like that, where traditionally in the past the compensation has always been, or the bonuses have been based on how much can they bill and how high their utilization can go. Well, those two um, you know, topics are out the window as a successful managed service provider. And then you've also got the professional services team, right, because these are the guys that are going to go out there and do the rollouts of uh, Server 2008 and all the new uh, technology that Microsoft and, and other uh, manufacturer partners of ours are, are bringing out in 08, 09, and beyond. So, you know, the ultimate goal, I believe, for any business, I mean, not just a solution provider, but I think the ultimate goal is to really focus on managing by the numbers, to understand exactly what drives revenue and what does not drive revenue. And if it doesn't drive revenue, then let's stop doing that, right? Let's focus on the most... Uh, the most highly profitable services that we can deliver, and then let's train our staff to sell, deliver, implement, and maintain those services, right? But then we also have to understand what the needs of our client base are. So for the things that, that we aren't very profitable at, let's partner with some other organizations that specialize in those things, going back to that partnering concept, to help deliver those solutions. So to answer your question in, in you know, more direct fashion, I think that for the folks on the smaller side of the, of the equation where they're just beginning uh, to become managed service providers, I think the, the takeaways are they've got to understand their core deliverables. You first have to understand what your core deliverables are today and, and what you may want to add in the future. But let's, let's get a box and put those in a box. Then let's clearly understand what uh, how profitable those are. And we may make decisions of putting, uh, taking one out of the box uh, in lieu of that. What's our total cost of service delivery? What's our margin on those products and services? Right? And then we have to understand or create a marketing plan. We have to have a consistent method of bringing in new uh, interest for our products and services. So identifying core deliverables, pricing, and positioning and developing a marketing plan and then executing that plan, right, and selling and closing that business and then delivering and implementing those services. So from a training perspective, maybe just some internal, uh, uh, some training to, to find out how to um, identify total cost of service delivery, um, how to get some marketing going, and maybe you outsource some of that stuff uh, if you don't have that skill set in-house. You've got to go out there and sell and close the business, so you've got to have some sales training, right? And then, obviously, your technical staff has to be up to snuff on the solutions that you are uh, implementing and maintaining. So moving forward in growing that model, now it becomes more important now to start really understanding the nuts and bolts of the finances, right? So you've got to really start focusing on moving towards that larger reality that says, I'm running my business completely by the numbers. So... So transitioning from understanding these four or five core things to really just kind of right the ship and get some forward momentum going with an eye towards really getting some financial uh, training to understand, um, you know, the effect of different uh, services and solutions and the different operations of your business unit and how, you know, finance and the lack of finance can impact your growth. So I think that... Uh, 
you know, that's my, you know, best answer in a short period of time in, in what can be done immediately and then what's the, what's the action item to move towards. So from a training perspective, again, it's basically going to be focused on pricing and positioning, sales and marketing, selling and closing the deal, and then some financial training in there to get to that really that higher level where you're, you know, viewing everything from the top down, kind of looking at the matrix code down your screen and understanding the financial implications of everything. Yeah, I mean, running your business by the numbers is very, very important, as I'm learning even today. And um, one of the things that's helped me, Eric, on that is uh, my HCG peer group. And we do that every every quarter now. We get together and we examine the numbers. And for those listeners that may be thinking about a peer group type idea, uh, I, re- I welcome you to go visit htgmembers.com and, and see if there's going to be another group starting out. I'm hearing rumblings that there may be some more groups starting out, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but that's you know that's a great way to get in, the, in a room with the like-minded people. And I know you and I are members in different groups, and uh, it's just a great way to get in a room with guys that are in the same industry and focus on what we uh, deliver every day. And I want to make a correction on the URL that I gave you for Dana's company. It's not Scorpion Software. It's scorpionsoft.com. Or even better, if you go to offanvil.com, you'll be able to find all the information about offanvil as a way to secure your clients' businesses. Uh, I'm just hoping Dana will send a check now for that advertising. <laughs> But uh, yeah, <laughs> you know that's what we're all about. We're all about helping each other out. That's you know we got a very good community here. Eric, one thing I heard the other this um, this week sometime was this uh, thing, and I, we're kind of relating it to break fix versus managed services. And we found that in the break fix world, really the client owns the relationship. They're calling us and telling us when we need to jump and what we have to do and how we're going to bill and you know, all these things with the client owning the relationship. And really, in a, to make MS, to make your managed services and your even your business, even if you're still doing break fix and you're making that transition, one of the things I have found is we need to really switch that uh, role over to now we own the relationship with the clients. I mean, making it very you know trans, uh, transparent, fifty-fifty type give and take. But I think the MSPs and the VARs and the system builders and Everybody out there really needs to think about owning that relationship. Who owns the relationship? Are the clients telling you what you need to do, or are you working with them to, you know, inform of the services that you deliver and, you know, how we expect to be bill, how we're going to bill, and, you know, what the net terms are, all that stuff. What is your what's your take on the client owning you your relationship or you owning the relationship? What's your spin on that? Well, I think that that you know that's interesting, Stuart. I think that that could be a a uh, a requirement or a define you know a definition of being an MSP is who owns the relationship because you know it's kind of like in sales, right? I mean, you know, either you're going to close the sale or you're not going to close the sale. But in any case, somebody got sold during that engagement. So I think it's the same thing with with managed service uh, delivering managed service. I mean, either you own the relationship or you don't own the relationship, and there's no way. For us to become the trusted advisor without uh, assuming the role and responsibility that that entails, and if the client is not willing to give us that control, and they and we cannot build the trust and loyalty to receive that, then guess what? That's not a good prospect to keep on our books, right? Because then you know they'll be questioning what we do, they'll be haggling on the invoices that aren't you know, basically the managed service invoice, anything that we bring up. So I think that it's very important to to uh, illustrate the necessity for us as the MSP to be that trusted advisor and to get buy-in from the client during the uh, agreement signing process. 
that here are our responsibilities, here are your responsibilities. And we, you know, our, our agreement, and it's, it's out there all over the industry now, I mean, it's very specific about what we will do and what we don't do and what the client is expected to do, right? So, I mean, you know, if we tell the client, hey, we need to replace your backup solution because, you know, hey, tape is so 80s now and you're out of capacity anyway and we want to put in a, a backup disaster recovery solution that, that will uh, back up the disk and then we'll output to, you know, uh, encrypted, obviously, uh, uh, remote storage so that we have the best uh, ability to restore your data no matter what happens. They have to be able to say yes to us. Now, if we have a client that won't take that direction, then guess what? We can't guarantee the ability to recover their data or restore their, their uh, you know, a disaster scenario or any of that. So it's very important for us to assume the role and responsibility of the MSP, who is the trusted advisor slash outsourced CIO, as if we were the CIO sitting in their office every single day making technology decisions to drive their company forward. That's what they're paying us for. That's why they retain us. That's why Dell and Microsoft is not going to steal those relationships away from us. Now, if we're failing to do that, then we're failing in our responsibility to that client as the trusted advisor, no matter if you're an MSP or not. Yeah, I don't think you're going to send it any better. It's, it's, that's what it's all about. And I don't know how many times I walk down the hall and even talk to my own system engineers to tell me that the client will never go for a solution. And they have to have that <laughs> chat with them saying, you know what, we, own, we have to own this relationship. We have to advise them and be that trusted advisor and advise them on why they need to start looking at this stuff. And I think a lot of system engineers uh, make that decision before the clients, before they even pitch it to them. And, uh, you know, if you're you a know, business owner, and if you're a business owner, you have that mindset, you've definitely got some concerns there. You know, that's so true. I mean, we, you know, and we've, we've done it, or so I've done it myself. You know, oh, the client X will never go for that. And, you know, and so part of that, you know, part, and I've learned now that it's not that they won't say yes, is that you have to give them the options to say yes. You know, show the benefit, and then if it's a, and if it's a, a, you know, if it's a cost issue, then let's figure out a way to finance the thing. I mean, for goodness sake, Microsoft financing is is just like the answer to many of these scenarios that a lot of our partners call us about banging their head about they lost the deal because they couldn't get thirty thousand dollars approved. And I'm like, well, did you run it through Microsoft financing? It takes five minutes. You'll get your answer the same day. And you know, it just it boggles the mind that that. You know, they'll take that, that, um, that no and uh, just go away and not think that, look, you know, this is something the client needs. We need to figure out a way to get it in there, right? So I, I suggest for any solution provider to always have a finance option on whatever invoice they're sending their client, if it's an invoice for, you know, a, an infrastructure upgrade. So if it's, uh, you know, $30,000, so it's $30,000 if they want to pay it outright or, you know, a monthly fee of X. And so, you know, monthly fee of X uh, uh, at 950 bucks. if I don't have 30 grand, hey, I could swing that. So, you know, and it's incumbent upon us to impress upon our clients the importance of keeping their technology current because what does it do for them? It makes them money, reduces downtime, right, increases efficiency, increases productivity, increases their staff's ability to contribute to that organization's gross yearly revenue. That's what I'm talking about. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better, Eric. I mean, I believe, I believe that 
uh, every day when I get up in the morning. So that's what I got to do. And you know, I even mentioned in my uh, white paper that I mentioned earlier on my website is being creative and having creative solutions and being persistent to get by those no's. And what I'm going to do, Eric, because you know it, we're all about helping partners here, is if you, if people go to that website, my website StuartCrawford.com, you'll see a place to sign up for my mailing list. If you sign up today or you know be, you know before Sunday, sign up today, you'll get a copy of that uh, white paper that I did, and I also will give you a, a free copy of my goal setting book if you sign up on my mailing list today. So you'll see that list on the right hand side. Just go and sign up. And I'm sure, uh, you know, we're all about helping out our, our partners and our, and our colleagues here. And one of the things, Eric, I also want to touch on in the last 10 minutes we got here is I read your blog the other day about offshoring, and I kind of had a, a posting today about offshoring as well. And I'm reading The World is Flat and, you know, the four-hour work week, and they're pushing that outsource. Our offshoring is going to be, you know, the if it's not happening now and it's not the way things are being done, it definitely will be you know, this year, later this year, or next year, or, or, or definitely in the near future. But what are your opinions on offshoring, and how can North American-based partners or Western Europe partners leverage the, the vast amount of talent that's available offshore so we can, do better, we can provide better services to our clients and be more, uh, be more profitable? So, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, big proponent of, you know, not – now, and I'm not going to couch it in, into into the term offshoring as much as outsourcing because I believe, you know, and, and you know, thanks for referencing my blog, Stuart. Um, you know, the gist of my blog was I read a blog uh, on the internet that I referenced in my blog that indicated that it was written specifically about Indian offshoring and Indian outsourcing, outsourcing to India, and it indicated that the costs for doing that. Uh, are going to uh, continue to increase because the salaries and the wages of these Indian technicians and engineers is increasing in India. So the, attract, the, uh, the attractiveness of that solution will start to diminish over time. And so I agreed with that, with that uh, uh, post or that uh, article in principle, and it was on Forbes.com, I believe. Um, and you can, you've, I think, uh, Stuart, you you reposted my blog on your blog, so the uh, the attendees can can read it there. But um, I think that folks that are delivering outsourced help desk services, such as Zenith Infotech that we referenced earlier, and Ingram Micro Seismic uh, Service for solution providers, they see that potential commoditization occurring, and they see the value of that, um, uh, the, the possibility for their partners to seek services elsewhere. I mean, we have partners ourselves, Stuart, that you know, are outsourcing to Russia now and Eastern European organizations. So I think that there's some competition brewing here. So I think, and in my blog, I mentioned that Zenith is bringing other valuable products and solutions to their uh, membership channel, such as a virtualized data center concept, uh, their, their great uh, backup disaster recovery solution. And we see the same thing happening with uh, Ingram Seismic offering. I mean, they've got uh, internet content filtering. I mean, they've got uh, remote storage and backup. And, uh, you know, they keep adding more and more services that are basically dead-on services for our 
uh, end-user clients and enables partners to really go in there and, and sell those to them. So by doing that, I think it, it, it helps them, you know, uh, build a deeper uh, foothold in, in delivering these services to their partners. So my, my idea of, of, of uh, outsourcing in general is, hey, if it's more economical to hire a firm to do 24-7 support where we are still in control of the relationship and in control of specific decisions that occur remediation-wise in those target environments, and uh, the service that is delivered is up to par to what our uh, in-house staff do, then it's basically a business decision. Right? If it makes sense and it allows me to scale my services much more broadly and offer 24-7 real-time support, which we did not do before we outsourced some of our help desks, then I think you know I subscribe to that world is flat theory. I think that uh, over time we're not only going to be seeing offshoring or outsourcing to India, but we're going to be seeing it all over the world. I mean, I think China uh, is next. I think there's some language barrier issues that are going to affect the ultimate decision on who uh, solution providers go with based upon you know what where their clients are and what they're used to. But I mean, that's why I think the uh, we'll see more North American help desks spring up because as the value of the Indian outsourcing uh, relationship becomes less attractive because of cost factors, then it may make more sense to to park our services uh, in a North American. Uh, deliverable through another partner. Or, you know, like I said, the Eastern European and Russian uh, solutions have been chosen by some of our partners specifically because there is a better uh, or a less perception of a language barrier between those folks and, and clients than there is with India. So I think that uh, over time uh, we'll be able to deliver services to any location in the world and maybe even utilize different um, outsourcing solutions based upon where the support needs to occur. I think that we have to be that uh, visionary in our business building model to say, wow, I am actually going to seek out opportunities to scale my services through partnering relationships and outsourcing relationships as long as the control uh, is there and we're able to meet our SLAs and maintain our increased customer satisfaction because now it allows us to really meet with our clients from that C-level perspective, instead of you know worrying about their help desk every day, we're going to go out there and now focus our attention in really driving solutions into their organizations. So, well, I like the outsourcing model or the offshoring model, whatever term you want to use, uh, because first of all, available talent in North America is it's getting harder to find really good people. Uh, so that's one way to kind of get around that problem. And number two is. Uh, I believe, and you know, in the world of flat, they mentioned it is there's culture of, a, of entitlement in North America that it's harder to keep staff happy because there's more demands, uh, compensation-wise, time off-wise, uh, work-life balance. You want to keep all those things in check, and it's important to. Uh, however, in those other cultures, they're just getting ramped. And you know, Tim, uh, Thomas Friedman mentioned it in his book that it's not a race to the bottom; it's a race to the top. And India, China, Russia, Eastern European countries, they're racing North America to the top, and they want to be on the top. And it's not a race to the bottom. So, Eric, we've got like four minutes left on our call today. Uh, I want you to, you know, do a little bit of, uh, you know, tell the listeners, say, what services you offer, 
uh, maybe advertise your blog and how people can get in touch with you. And uh, you know, so after they listen to the show, or you know, they get off the call, if you know, I need to, I need to engage with Eric because you know, I need to get my managed services practice on the on the on the go here. Sure. Well, thanks, thanks for that opportunity, Stuart. So, um, our website is uh, mspu.us. That's www.mspu.us. And if you visit our website, we've got lots of free. Uh, webinar training up there. I think there's a series of about 10 webcasts I did uh, for Microsoft's TS2 team that you can register for and download that takes you through basically 10 different areas of transition and um, increased efficiency and, and success in delivering managed services. I mean, all the top concepts we talked about, uh, determining deliverables, pricing and positioning, managed services agreements and SLAs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, becoming the trusted advisor. All of that. Uh, you can also purchase uh, both of our books on on our website, The Guide to a Successful Managed Services Practice, which is the best-selling managed services book uh, out there, um, as well as the follow-on, the best IT sales and marketing book ever. Both of these books uh, include um, uh, downloadable content. The uh, Guide to Successful Managed Services Practice has almost 30 different tools, forms, and collateral to help you manage your business and market your business. And the best IT sales and marketing book ever contains almost 50 uh, collateral pieces. And that's all focused on sales and marketing as well. So the services that we offer our, our partners are basically we offer uh, workshops and boot camps. Uh, we have a subscription to MSP University. There's hundreds of webinars, forms, tools, and collateral uh, that are constantly updated on our website every month to take you through every phase of delivering managed services and transitioning to managed services. Uh, we also have a, a, um, a collateral as a service. We'll design all of your marketing collateral for you for a flat fee a month. Uh, we have a sales training as a service where we'll train your sales folk uh, through uh, live meetings and phone conversations. And we also do live boot camps for uh, knock and help desk best practices, sales and marketing, and uh, business operations. So, uh, you know, we, we basically try to create a location on the Internet that uh, we would have greatly appreciated back in 2004 uh, when we were trying to find our way in delivering managed services. And basically, uh, it, we, we basically are the managed services provider resource for solution providers on the web. Well, thanks for taking time out of your day today, Eric, to come and talk to us. It was, it was great to have you on. Uh, Small Business IT Radio. And in our last minute here, just bring up the feed on what's happening in the next few weeks. We have a very special show next week. We have uh, Will Krisky, who is a new author and has a book uh, called The uh, Wealthy Consultant. You know what? I have to look it up again. But it's, Will's going to be on our show next week talking about how to get uh, make some money doing IT consulting. And Will is a software um, developer and uh, making that transition from being a software coder to being a businessman, he's written a, a short little ebook uh, on that, and you can find out his information on our blogtalkradio.com/smb website. And on Good Friday, I know it's Good Friday, but we're going to have a show anyways on Good Friday, and we're going to be talking about Small Business Server 2008. We're going to have a number of folks on from Microsoft and going through uh, Windows uh, Small Business Server 2008 and what we should expect as uh, IT professionals in uh, the upcoming release of uh, this great product. So once again, thanks to uh, Eric for joining us. Uh, thanks for all of you for joining us on Small Business IT Radio for this week. 
check our website at blogtalkradio.com slash SMB for upcoming shows. And I wish you a very successful week, and we'll talk with you next Friday.